With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me! It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy, bang bang, sling sling, toss toss, I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. Well, we're back for another optimistic edition of the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. Um, it's another win, and the Broncos somehow pulled off a victory in L.A. against the Chargers, a game that no one expected them to win, and rightly so. And a game that the Broncos probably didn't really deserve to win, but it doesn't matter. In the end, it's a W, and the Broncos keep their season alive. Yes, it's just barely alive. It's 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 hanging by a thread, but it's still alive. They have a chance. This was a game that they had to win. Honestly, every game is a must win. Now, it's, it's very unlikely they're going to go to the playoffs or, or do anything this season, but this gives them that slight chance you know four and five record 
it, they, they, if they only lose one more game for the rest of the season, they'll, they'll have a chance. And, and honestly, it could happen. Now, I don't think it will. I think that's asking a little too much from a team that has some serious, serious flaws, both on and off the field, as we've spoken about time and time again. But at least we fans have something to to cheer for, something to feel good about. And they, they the, the team, yes, it does have flaws, but it's got some really good things going for it. I mean, Case Keenum, he can turn it on. I mean, somehow Case Keenum has turned into Tim Tebow. Now, yes, they have a very different style of play, but Keenum really the entire year has struggled mightily in the first three quarters of every game. And then in the fourth quarter, something clicks and he turns into Mr. Comeback. This it, it reminds me really strongly of Tebow, especially this week in San Diego. This was a total Tim Tebow victory. It was a game that no one expected them to win. They didn't deserve maybe to win, but they did. They pulled it off, and mainly because of a brilliantly led 80-yard or 82-yard I, I, okay, excuse me, that's not correct because they didn't they didn't score a touchdown in the end. But they marched down the field, I think, starting at the eight yard line and kicked a thirty four yard field goal at the as time expired to win the game. And and it was again reminiscent of Tim Tebow. And yes, that's scary. But hey, you know, at least it's something. I mean, Case Keenum is showing that he has what it takes to be a comeback quarterback. And that's a good thing. Come on, let's look at the bright sides here. I know so many fans are still down on the team. They don't like winning because of, you know, they, they want Vance Joseph gone. They want John Elway gone. They want the whole team completely destroyed and built back up. But I don't think people really consider that if you fire Joseph, if you, especially if you fire Elway, this team's going to start from nothing again, and they're going to be bad for several years, maybe five years. I mean, that's when you have a complete rebuild, it takes many, many seasons to to come back. Almost always. Every now and then a, a team can figure it out and do it quickly, but it's it's rare. So, yeah, I don't think Vance Joseph is going to stick around. I mean, they would need to win out likely for him to stick around. And even then, I don't know. I, I don't think that Elway and ownership has a whole lot of faith or trust in Vance Joseph. But let's look at the bright sides again. I mean, why is everyone so down on Vance Joseph? People are still bellyaching about some of his decisions, and it was a victory. Okay, I get it. Yeah, people are saying the Broncos won besides, you know, Vance Joseph, you know, making stupid decisions. But I don't think he made that many bad decisions in this game. I liked when they went for it on fourth and one with with Lindsey. Now, yeah, he didn't make it, but if he had made it, you know, people would have liked the decision. So it's one of those decisions that... It can go either way. I mean, like it or dislike it. But you can't say it was a terrible decision. You can't bash on Vance Joseph for that decision. And I I have not been a Vance Joseph apologist. I I don't think he's the future coach here. But give the guy a break. I mean, honestly, when this game was won, you know, at, at the last second, I loved seeing Vance Joseph celebrating on the sideline. I loved watching his players and coaches with him because... He's a he's a human being, guys. I mean, he gets so much crap. He, he is so ill thought of in the Denver community, and and by myself included. I'm not going to exclude myself from this. The guy deserves a break. The whole coaching staff deserves a break. This is a hard game. It's a hard league to win. And when a coach who has been much maligned and has had many bad decisions and many bad games goes out and and secures a tough victory in a game that no one thought they would win, give him a break. Give him some credit. It it becomes, I think Denver fans are just becoming mean. They're becoming mean-spirited. They want him to lose, and that's not cool. 
It's just not. Come on. I mean, th- this is still our coach. He's the Denver Broncos coach. This is the Denver Broncos team. And I understand the thought of, hey, we should lose so we'll get a higher draft pick. And I even get that to a point. But the whole hoping that Vance Joseph will fail, it's not cool. It's really not cool. And, and, and I see it all over the place. I see it in the media. I see it all over Twitter and Facebook with our fans. And and we got to really sit back and think about this and, and think about it. I mean, that's just... it's. It's like I, I want to talk to people like they're you know a six year old or something. It's like, hey, you know, be nice, just be nice. He's a human being. He's trying to do his job. Yeah, maybe he's not the guy, but what what do we have to gain from bashing on him week in and week out? Again, I do it too. But the difference is, I think we have to at least give him credit when he makes good decisions. When he wins the game, he made some good decisions. He had better clock management this time. Case Keenum and Vance Joseph figured it out. They marched down the field, spiked the ball, and kicked a field goal exactly how we wanted them to do, and no one's giving him credit. Give the guy some credit. Give him a break. The whole team deserves some credit here. And yes, it's a good thing to win. It's good. I know there are some people in the Denver media who are also saying, you know, they're, they're backing up the Broncos and saying it's always good to win. It's never good to lose. And part of it, I believe it was Andrew Mason with, uh, oh boy, and I think he's with, with the Broncos. Um, he was saying that, you know, of course it's good to win and it's always good to win because it teaches your young guys the right way to play football, the right way to, to succeed, to, to find a way to get a victory no matter what. And I think that's absolutely true. And so when you start looking at the NFL draft and people always just hoping, hey, we want a top five pick, sometimes top five picks work. Of course, you know, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, I think they both are good examples of them working. But there are hundreds of examples of top five, top 10 picks not panning out. It is not a sure thing. Sure, you have a better chance at getting a great or good player, but it's not for sure. And so the whole idea of we have to lose, it, I don't think it's smart. Yeah, yes, again, I'm one that I don't see it always as a negative when you do. Now, I think my worst case scenario is if you end up 7-9 and nine and get the number 15 pick and you're not a very good team. And if you do that year in and year out, you become the Detroit Lions and the Cincinnati Bengals. These teams that they're never terrible, but they're never good, and they never will be good. And, and I mean, they've wasted some good quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Dalton, and they've wasted them because they're always okay. They're, they're never good enough. They don't put enough talent around these guys to win. And that's a, obviously a major problem. And I do worry about with the, the Broncos. But we can't be so down about a win. I mean, it, it becomes depressing. I, I have a hard time going through Twitter or, or even, even here on Mile High Report. I have a hard time going through the comments section or even sometimes through the articles because they're so negative. I mean, I think we have to learn again to appreciate the game even right now. I mean, we need to appreciate right now what's happening, not always looking for the future because the future is so unsure. You just don't know what they're going to do. Maybe the Broncos will trade the number 5 or 10 or 12 pick for a quarterback. Maybe they'll go and get you know, Russell Wilson from Seattle, and maybe that's good enough with the number 12 pick. We don't know. The, the future is so uncertain. The NFL draft is is a total crapshoot, and so many fans are acting like if you get the top five pick, you're going to be better, and that's just simply not the case. Listen again. 
I think it was two podcasts ago, the, the Broncos and Broad, Broncos and Bratwurst podcast episode four, I believe it was, when Skipper Dude does a brilliant breakdown of if the Broncos should go full Chucky. They should go full Raiders and just totally blow up the team and start fresh. And he did this great, you know, review of the Broncos back in, I, I believe it was 1999, and what would have happened if they had totally torched the teams that have won the Super Bowl and start fresh. And in the end, he figured out that... The, the I don't remember who the quarterback was. Was it um it wasn't McNair. It was somebody who was okay if they'd gone with you know drafted a top five pick with with one of the quarterbacks, but it wasn't great and it it would have been a risk and it would have been blowing up a great team for someone who ended up being just whelming, you know, underwhelming even. And so this whole idea that they have to lose and that that's the only way to succeed, you know, I, I understand the idea again, but but we have to let off of this this almost hatred this almost this bitterness this 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 meanness against the coaching staff and against the organization that we love this is our team this is our fa- you know, we're the fans of the Denver Broncos and we want them to lose even when they win i mean okay if they lose then i will come back the next week and say hey you know it's not all bad because i want to be optimistic you know it's not all bad we will have a higher draft pick but when they win let's feel good about it Let's feel good about it, guys. Come on. This is this is our team. We want them to win. We want them to beat AFC West, you know, divisional rivals. And they did in LA. They beat Rivers. Come on. This has got to feel good. Broncos fans. Everybody, please take a moment. Sit back and enjoy the victory. Kevin is hot. Yes, I'm hot, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm hot. This whole deal with Philip Rivers being funny because he doesn't cuss and he just says darn shooting dang on the on the football field. And the fact that people make that sound like this is, oh, you know, he's like an old man. He's an old grandpa. This is so, it's so juvenile. This is a guy who, yeah, what does he have, eight kids now? He is a good example. This is a, a man who comes off as more intelligent, in my eyes at least, because he doesn't use foul language. Yes, I played a little bit of football and other sports when I was younger, and I mean, it was this culture, this, this whole idea is that you weren't manly or you weren't tough or you weren't a player if you weren't cussing all the time. I mean, the F-bomb was every other word. It was every, you couldn't describe something without throwing in the F-bomb or some other foul language. And it becomes ridiculous. I mean, you can't hot mic these players because all you ever hear is cursing in F-bombs. And honestly, it gets to be a bit ridiculous. I mean, the intelligence of these players, I'm not questioning their intelligence. I'm sure some are smarter than others. But it becomes so stupid when when you interview them also you interview them off the field they know they can't use language and they're still dropping f-bombs dropping language in in, on live television this is a a family sport it should be a family event these guys get paid millions of dollars to do it now yeah i get it it's tough it's hard does that mean you have to be dropping this language it's ridiculous now i don't really even care if they're dropping the language but the fact that they make Philip Rivers, like a laughing stock, or they joke about it. I, I think that's kind of lame. I think he's a guy who should be a model. I, I, I think he should be somebody that people should look to and say, hey, look, this is actually probably better, right? I mean, why do people have to use this language? Philip Rivers comes off, I think, as, as a good guy, and he has many stories of being a good dude, a good family man, a good Christian man. Now, 
I don't think that's a laughing matter. I think that's something that I, I respect a lot. And I respect players who you can mic up and you can mic up for the entire game because they're not out there just using this horrible, ridiculously immature and, and, and honestly not very intellectual language. It, it's not a good look for the NFL. It's never a good look for any sport when, when I mean, I just saw Kevin Durant, you know, basketball player, yes, but cussing out a fan, you know, using the F-bomb twice against a fan and it was caught, uh, you know, on video. That That's not cool. It's not, it's not a good example. These are people that are often looked up to by society, unfortunately, in most cases, but it should be a good thing. It should be emulated that Philip Rivers is a guy who actually has morals and actually has, you know, a mind that can think of words other than the F-bomb or something, some other four-letter word. So, you know, thank you, Philip Rivers. And he's honestly one of my favorite quarterbacks, one of my favorite players, even though I love to watch them lose. Philip Rivers, you keep doing what you're doing, man. All right, so after my optimistic first segment, which I think was deservedly so, I don't want to be too down about anything for the rest of the season. After a win, I don't think it's deserved to be negative and to, to, to always be looking forward to the next year and who should be gone and who should be fired. But I do think it's still relevant. It's something that we have to look for you know, the rest of the season. We have to see what they're going to do moving forward because this is not a championship team. Now, yes, best case, they somehow, somehow managed to make the playoffs. But do we see this as a team that's going to beat Kansas City Chiefs or even the L.A. Chargers in the playoffs? Not likely. It could happen. I mean, this is a team that, you know, the defense did hold Kansas City and the L.A. Rams to under 30 points or around 30 points when the two teams playing against each other just scored over 50. That, that Talk about a game. Holy mackerel. That was that was one of the craziest, wildest Monday night football games probably in history. And the first time ever the two teams have scored 50 points in the same game. It was absolutely wild. And there were three defensive touchdowns. And and five turnovers by uh, Mahomes. But the Broncos had a good game plan against these two teams. They were two of the best offenses we've seen in in the last several years. I mean, two brilliant offensive minds in Andy Reid and and, and, uh, McVay for the Rams. And the Broncos did pretty well against them. And and they they really were in all three games, the two against Kansas City and, and the one against L.A. Now, you know, the only game they probably should have won was the first game against Kansas City, but still, they, they were competitive. So the Broncos are fairly close, but I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders. Now, that being said, what do the Broncos need to do to get there, to, to get to where they can be contenders? Now, last week, I said, you know, you need to go out and get a, a better head coach, a more respected head coach, a guy with a lot of experience. Now, Vance Joseph, maybe he'll be there down the line. He's not there right now. He's, he's not ready. He was saying in his interviews this week that he doesn't really even know how the video replay works. He doesn't really know who sends it to him. It's not a good look. And, and I think that Vance Joseph, you know, he, he's it's a learning experience. And that's for every single coach. There are a few Sean McVeighs in the world. Most coaches don't do well in their first tenure. I mean, they, they have to learn the whole thing. It's a very difficult job. Now, I think the Broncos should bring in John Harbaugh. He's a very experienced, he's a veteran head coach, a guy who's won the Super Bowl. He's won many, many playoff games. He's a winner. And I also said last week that I think the Broncos should trade for Russell Wilson. I think he's got one more year on his contract with Seattle. He's not that expensive. I think he's getting paid, I think it's $22 million a year compared to Case Keenum's $18 million. 
Uh, I think the Broncos could somehow find a way to finagle salaries, even though they're going to have to pay Case Keenum either way. Um, is that going to happen? Probably not. I mean, Russell Wilson is kind of a pipe dream. He's probably going to stay in Seattle, and the Broncos most likely are going to play one more season with Case Keenum. Now, if that's the case, <laughs> pun not intended, the the most well, is Case Keenum a guy who can lead this team to victory? Let's say even with John Harbaugh, even with a better offensive scheme, uh, he doesn't seem like it. I, I he's he's again he's kind of your Tim Tebow guy. You can't be a quarterback who only shows up in the fourth quarter, who only makes the right decisions in 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 one quarter of the game and and win. And he's done that all year. I don't think that's just you know a one week deal. That's that's a long lasting trend. And eventually you have to say that's who this guy is. Case Keenum is not a franchise quarterback and I don't know if the Broncos ever thought that but I think they wanted to give him a shot and, and he's proven through through nine games that he's, he's not a franchise guy now is he good enough to win is this team good enough to win with better coaching that's a good question I mean we, we don't really know I, I think in my opinion the Broncos probably have at least two more wins with a better coaching staff I mean Vance Joseph has cost this team wins a few times just by his play calling and you can argue that the offensive scheme has really really struggled with Bill Musgrave and again I don't want to I don't want to be negative after a victory but when you put up only 300 and what was it 312 yards of offense was it 325 yards of offense that's not good I mean Case Keenum had 59 passing yards in the first three quarters combined that's really not good and Philip Lindsay had 11 rushing attempts. He was averaging over seven yards per carry. He had 11 rushing attempts. Now, part of that is because the team was so, so incredibly bad on third down. They, they could not complete third down conversions, which meant they, the offense you know, was obviously taken off the field. And then by the time that they, they were actually converting on third down, they had to pass the ball because they were playing you know, down by, what was it, 20 points or 14 points. And so Philip Lindsay, even though he was having a heck of a game, as he's done all year long, he, he's he's really been outstanding, as everybody knows. He's He obviously is in the running for Rookie of the Year. And when you have a guy like that, you have to better use him. You have to, to find some way, swing him out, you know, put him in the slot. And they did. They put him in a wildcat formation, and he scored a touchdown. Now, it's still not enough. 11, 11 attempts, you got to find some way to get him more attempts. Part of that is more success on third down. In Case Keenum, he just sometimes looks clueless in the first three quarters. He, he really looks like he's unsure. He holds on to the ball too long. He, he, he makes, I don't know, too many reads, or he, he latches onto one receiver who doesn't get open. He doesn't look comfortable, and then all of a sudden, he, he becomes a superstar, and he was very, very good in that fourth quarter. Don't get me wrong. Case Keenum des- deserves to get some praise because his fourth quarter was absolutely awesome, and he led the team to a victory. He absolutely did, but he was not good in the first three quarters, and he, he just, he's not been great all year, and so, again, is that Keenum, or is that the, the off- offensive game planning? Is it Vance Joseph? It's probably a mix of everything. Now... You know, the, the the big question for me is what does this team, what what's the identity of this team? Right now, I don't see an identity. I don't see what this team really wants to be, what, what they believe that they 
are. Are they a defensive team? Are they a ground and pound team? Are they a Case Keenum led team? Are they a shotgun quarterback? Are they a under center quarterback? Are they a play action quarterback? I mean, I don't think they've really figured that out. And somehow it still seems that, that Bill Musgrave doesn't fashion an offense to his talent. I don't think he's using Case Keenum like Case Keenum needs to be used. Even the the broadcasters on Sunday were saying how it's odd that Case Keenum is constantly in the shotgun when he clearly is not as good a quarterback under shotgun. I don't know why. It's like it's the reverse of Peyton Manning. But Keenum does not thrive under shotgun, and yet he is continually put under shotgun I, I don't understand it and I know Bill Musgrave is a smarter football guy than me but I'm not the only one saying this all the fans broadcasters alike are saying you know why is he not used more in play action Case Keenum is one of the best play action quarterbacks in football and they're not using him he's he's much better under center but they're using shotgun more now that's got to be the scheme this team has got to figure out how to use their players best. And I think this is a, a very deep issue with his coaching staff. We've heard this from, again, Chris Harris, Demarius Thomas, Wolf. They're all saying that the coaches don't listen. They don't listen to them. Now, I don't know if the coaches have to listen, but it's fairly rare that you have three veteran players, three guys who are who have been here with a Super Bowl winning team and guys that the team, all their teammates respect are complaining about the coaches and about the coaches not listening or about coaches leaving. They don't want Wade Phillips gone. And so when Wade Phillips leaves, they have, you know, Joe Woods, who they don't maybe like as much. They don't like his schemes. Now, maybe that's not even Woods problem, but it's a problem that they're not on the same page. You either have to have that respect so that the players are going to shut up when they don't agree with you. Or you have to do what the players want you to do. You have to find one way or the other, and it's still a, a disconnect with this coaching staff. And I and I don't see that changing. So again, I don't see this coaching staff being here past January. So what does this team need to do? Do they need to figure out what their identity is and and fix it? Yes, absolutely. I, I think they need to find who who are their most talented players on the team. Now, obviously, your running game is very, very good. Now, your your defense has some holes. I think they need some help at cornerback. And, and safety, Justin Simmons has been terrible this year for some reason. Um, and, and once you figure that out, you have the pass rush that, that I think can, can really lead this defense. And you need a, a guy like Case Keenum who doesn't make mistakes like he has in the last two games. He's been more of your Case Keenum, at least in that case, that he's not made the big mistakes, not turned it over. And you need a coaching staff that puts your team in the best position to win. They have to get their players and put them in a spot to win. Now, Wade Phillips was really, really good with that in Denver. Now, Wade Phillips also just gave up, what, 52 points to the Kansas City Chiefs in his defense, or his defense did, I should say. And their defense has really, really struggled this season. But Fortunately for LA, their their offense has picked them up. Either way, that there needs to be some sort of identity. Even if this coaching staff stays, maybe they do. Maybe they win out and go to the playoffs. I hope that's what happens. That would be awesome. I want the team to win. Jeez, if the Broncos are in the playoffs, then then hey, sign me up. Okay. Now, even if that means they keep the coaching staff, that means the coaching staff has figured something out. If you win that many games, then great. Why is that a negative? I, I seriously see so many people saying, hey, we don't want them to win because we want Joseph gone. If Vance Joseph finds a way to lead this team to victory and lead them to the playoffs, then keep him. 
I, I have nothing personally against Vance Joseph. I think he comes off as not really knowing what he's doing sometimes, but if he figures it out as a first-time head coach, his second year coaching, and he slowly starts to figure it out and brings this team to become a, a winning team, then keep the guy. But if you keep him, if you keep this coaching staff, you must find an identity. You must say, this is who we are, and this is what teams will have to be beat week in and week out. And you can't keep changing things up and, and trying to find a new, a new hero, a new identity week in and week out. Find an identity and keep it. Now, we're going to bring in the skipper dude who's going to talk about the Broncos and their GM, particularly John Elway, and their, their whole front office staff, and what the front office staff might have to change to bring the Broncos back to being a formidable NFL team in a playoff and Super Bowl championship organization. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. I am Mr. D, also known as the Skipper Dude, a proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today, we're going to continue a five-part series that I'm calling Fixing the Broncos with part two, John Elway in the front office. Last week, if you remember, we discussed ownership and, and the absolute necessity of the Bolin family to sell the Broncos if they want to avoid becoming the Detroit Lions of the 2020s, basically, preferably to an ownership group headed by John Elway that could operate a little bit like Magic Johnson group um, that runs the L.A. Dodgers. And, and today, though, we're going to talk about the front office. And, and over the next few weeks, we'll talk about coaching staff, starting quarterback, and the rest of the on-field talent. So here, here's a little spoiler alert for you. Uh, of the five layers of the organization that we're addressing in this series, ownership, front office, coaching staff, starting quarterback, and the rest of the team, I believe that two of these layers just need a little tweaking, and the other three need to be flushed out to sea and completely rebuilt literally from scratch. So can you figure out which is which? Yes? No? Okay, well, let's explore. As for John Elway and the front office, I'm seeing a healthy amount of sentiment on the social media these days that perhaps John Elway's day has come and gone. Perhaps it's time for the Broncos to move on from John Elway. And so I'm going to start today with a little exercise. If you're one of those who believes that the Broncos would be better off without John Elway, then I want you to stretch your right hand out in front of you, about eye level. Okay, just stretch it out good and, good and far away. Um, now take your hand and ball it up in a fist, okay? Ball it up in a fist nice and tight. Okay, got it? Now rotate your fist so that your palm is pointing straight up. Got that? All right, now punch yourself in the face. So, so, guys, John Elway is going to be an integral part of the Denver Broncos until John Elway decides he no longer wants to be an integral part of the Denver Broncos. If you don't like it, then go root for the Minnesota Vikings or something. John Elway is a big part of the answer to what ails the Broncos and not a scapegoat. By the, by the time the season is over, think about this. John Elway will have been president and general manager for eight years now. And in, in, in that eight years, he'll have two Super Bowl appearances, a Super Bowl victory, five division championships in eight years, and two losing seasons, okay? Assuming that this one is a losing season. To lose patience with him now because he's hitting a rough patch and rebuilding after the Peyton Manning era is insanity. It, it's insanity. We Don't go there. So, however, however, 
Does that mean that John Elway excels in every aspect of his job? No, he doesn't. In fact, does John Elway have some major, major deficiencies as president GM that will sink the Denver Broncos into perpetual mediocrity or worse if they're not addressed? And, and to that, I would say yes, he does. The good news, though, is I believe these deficiencies are finally being acknowledged and addressed. Where, and where I regard ownership, the Bowling Group, as a group that needs to be flushed out to see and started over, John Elway and the front office are one of the two groups from the Denver Broncos that just need some tweaking to return to championship form. Okay, so let's talk about John Elway specifically. Now that we have eight years of, as a body of evidence on him as president GM, I think there's some pretty solid patterns that have emerged. Um, and, and so let's ask a question. Where is John Elway strong as a president GM and where is he weak? Okay, let's start with his strengths. Number one, there is probably no single athlete in American sports history who is tied to a team brand more tightly than John Elway and the Broncos. Think about that. Who would you rank higher in terms of a tightness between, between a team brand and one individual player? Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls? No, probably not. Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees? Eh, maybe. You know, probably not. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots? No, I, I don't think so. John Elway is the Denver Broncos, for, for better or for worse, particularly on a national stage, which brings with it a, a brand image of, of the Sling Sling Cowboy, right, from, from Kevin's intro. It brings intensity. He brings integrity, passion. And the bottom line, he brings winning. Lots and lots of winning. Okay, so seriously, for those of you just punched yourself in the face, who could provide that brand image for the Denver Broncos than John Elway? I mean, seriously, that image uh, that, that's projected on a national stage of the Denver Broncos, John Elway's as good as they get. Okay, so number two um, of John Elway's strengths. By all indications, he's an insider and a good old boy. Okay, now that may not sound like much, but I want to take you across town and cross over sports for just a minute to the Colorado Rockies. And if you remember um, the Rockies back, if you were following them back in 2009, you'll remember they had a team president named Kelly McGregor. Okay, Kelly McGregor, by all accounts, was a good old boy. And by virtue of that, it put the Rockies into play for, for other Major League Baseball insiders and good old boys. Okay, they kind of in... in they, they, they hired Jim Tracy as, as a bench manager. I mean, he was definitely an, an insider. Tracy actually ended up managing the 2009 team um, to the playoffs after Clint Hurdle was fired early in the season. And if you remember as well, they brought in Jason Jombie to help add a veteran pre, uh, presence to what was a very young locker room. They were able to do these things because Kelly McGregor was plugged into the good old boy network and had plenty of contacts. By and now, if you remember, in April 2010, very tragically, Kelly McGregor passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, and for whatever reason, the Monforts decided not to replace him with another baseball insider. I remember at the time, as a fan, I was hoping that the name that was thrown around was Oral Horschizer. I remember just wanting them to bring him in because he was a baseball insider, and they didn't. They, they decided to leave the position unfilled for whatever reason. And so from there, the team actually started spiraling downward. And when Jim, Jim Tracy, who, who had taken over as manager in 2009, finally left after the 2012 season, 
the Rockies had no more connection into the good old boy network. And, and so nobody wanted to take that, that open manager's job. The Rockies at that point were perceived nationally as a team that was really not that serious about winning. And a big part of the reason is because they didn't have that team president who is a good old boy. Um, so, so at that point, the Rockies were shut out from that good old boy network and they ended up having to resort to the, just the tiny little Colorado Rockies network of front office folks and former players. And they ended up hiring Walt Weiss, whose, whose managerial career to that point was basically coaching his son's baseball and football teams. I mean, I love Walt Weiss, but, but really, you know, but where, but where else were they going to turn at that point? They had been basically shunned by the rest of the good old boy network. And it's just the way these, these worlds work. So back to John Elway. John Elway is definitely one of those good old boys. He was able to land, land Peyton Manning as a free agent specifically because he's a good old boy. Peyton Manning didn't come to Denver because he liked the thin air. He, he came because he believed in John Elway's ability to build a Super Bowl champion in Denver. And, of course, Peyton knew what he was doing. I mean, that, you know, he, he ended up building that champion. So there, there's number two. Number, reason number three, or strength number three of John Elway, he has a vision for the team, and he sticks with it. You build around your quarterback, your left tackle, your edge rushers, and your cornerbacks. Don't overpay either with dollars or draft picks for anybody, but especially don't overpay for middle linebackers, run ba- running backs, or tight ends. And we'll discuss that last one, the tight ends, in a couple of weeks. But if you're like me and you had to suffer through the Dan O'Dowd Colorado Rockies, literally, you remember them literally changing visions for building a competitive team every two years. If you remember that, you understand how necessary a single vision that doesn't change much, just evolves over time, but doesn't change fundamentally, how important that is to success. And it's essential. And, and, and John Elway has done that extremely well. So reason number four, um, he's not afraid to eat his mistakes and move on, like he did with John Fox, Paxton Lynch, Mike McCoy, and he soon will with, with Fans Joseph. When, when leadership is afraid to do that, you end up with teams like the Cincinnati Bengals with Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton, and just stuck in perpetual mediocrity. When they need to move on, they don't move on, and they end up stuck in, in just on the verge of the playoffs every year, never doing anything particularly exciting. Finally, number five, uh, John Elway, another strength. He does an extraordinary job of managing the salary cap and negotiating veteran uh, contracts. You can look at the veteran free agents he's brought in, like like Peyton Manning or Wes Welker, Manuel Sanders, Ronald Leary, and he's been solid on, on, on these types of pickups. He rarely overpays for talent and signs bad contracts. He probably overpaid for Demarius Thomas, and he got lucky not to have overpaid for Brock Osweiler uh, when his rookie contract was up. He offered him $12 million a year. But you just you look at the Broncos over the Elway era, and you just can't find that many bad contracts. And even for a few guys who got away, like, like Elvis Dumerville and Malik Jackson, Elway probably made the right decisions in letting some of them go. Um, he Yes, he's had some wasted contracts like Menelik Watson and Clinton McDonald recently, but those are good. those are going to happen to most teams, and it just th- those things happen. So, so there's a lot of strengths with John Elway as as a team president and, and g- general manager, but plenty of weaknesses too. So now let's look at where John Elway is weak. And in a couple of cases, we're not just talking below average; we're talking 
organizationally crippling level of incompetence type of, of week. And, and that's how, and that's, I think, for those of you who, who punched yourselves in the face earlier and wanted to get rid of Elway, you're seeing this these levels of, of incompetence that, that I'm going to discuss here. And they are legitimate. They, they are legitimately weak, weak areas for, for John Elway. So number one, John Elway can't draft to save his life. Okay, I think we all agree with that at this point. When you look at the first two drafts he had as president and GM, 2011-2012, they were great drafts. Okay, in 2011, Von Miller, Raheem Moore uh, of not-so-blessed memory, Orlando Franklin, Julius Thomas, and in 2012, Derek Wolf, Malik Jackson, Danny Trevathan. These are, these are great drafts. But there's a catch. These drafts were run by Brian Sanders, who oversaw, actually in his time, four fantastic drafts from 2009 to 2012 that really helped to lay the foundation for the Peyton Manning mini-dynasty. Mini but then Brian Sanders moved on after the 2012 season, and Elway took over the draft board and started a run of five of the worst drafts in Broncos history. Okay, and, and this is probably going to be pouring some salt and some wounds here, but here, here's just some names to throw out. 2013... Sylvester Williams, Monty Ball, Kayvon Webster, Quantaris Smith, Zach Dysert, among others. 2014, Bradley Roby, Cody Latimer, Michael Schofield, Matt, Matt Paradis. Okay, probably the one real big, Matt Paradis being the one real big draft score that, that Elway's had in his time. 2015, Shane Ray, Ty Sambrello, Jeff Hewerman, Max Garcia, Lorenzo Dawson, Trevor Simeon. A terrible, terrible draft in 2015. 2016 actually was not horrible. Paxton Lynch, yes, but uh, Adam Gotsis, Justin Simmons, Devontae Booker, Connor McGovern, Andy Janovich. Eh, okay, not too bad. And then finally, things kind of bottomed out for Elway in 2017. Garrett Bowles, Demarcus Walker, Carlos Henderson, Brendan Langley, Jake Butt, Isaiah McKenzie, D'Angelo Henderson, and Chad Kelly. What a disaster, okay? In, in 2018... Elway finally handed the draft board over to Gary Kubiak, who did an outstanding job of bringing in some rookie talent. But these five terrible drafts have created a talent void that very much helps to explain why the Broncos are currently stuck in a 6-10 and 10 type of a rut. Okay, so, so number two on John Elway's weaknesses, he appears to be a terrible judge of moral character. Kevin, you did a piece a few weeks ago called Elway Loves Losers, and I'm hoping you'll link it to it again today. You showed that pr pretty much every year Elway takes a gamble on a college player or a free agent of low or at least questionable moral character. And with the exception of Von Miller in 2011, who has become one of the better moral characters in the NFL, and Aqib Tlaib, who is, you know, well, he's Aqib Tlaib, these gambles almost always turn out for the worse. Think Bradley Roby, Paxton Lynch, Chad Kelly, Garrett Bowles. And it's not just the players, if you remember, it's, it's, it's front office staff like Matt Russell and Tim Heckert who, who were suspended for DUIs in 2013. So that's number two. Number three on John Elway as a weakness, um, just as he did as a player, Elway loves to throw in a triple coverage, so to speak. He, we can't have the John Elway discussion without talking about Vance Joseph, who, who Elway hired in 2017 despite no head coaching experience and only one year as a fairly mediocre defensive coordinator in Miami. If you go and look at 2017, you look at the top NFL head coaching candidates from, from them, Vance Joseph is literally nowhere on the list. I mean, no, nowhere. And, and so this, this was akin to, you know, Elway's 
propensity as a quarterback to, to throw into triple coverage and just, you know, trust his, trust his arm. So he, he was, Vance Joseph was a guy that Elway got his heart set on for whatever reason from VJ's days as a secondary coach in Cincinnati. If you remember, he tried to hire him away as a defensive coordinator before Joe Woods. And, and you get the impression that, you know, Elway was stuck on him and was just not going to be talked out of it. So all indications, of course, are that Vance Joseph simply isn't NFL head coaching material. And I think we can all agree on that at this point. So you have to ask yourself the question, what did Elway see in him? And much more importantly, when VJ is fired on Monday, December 31st at 8 a.m. Mountain Time, okay, that's the morning after week 17, Bloody Monday, you can probably figure within an hour or two, that's when he's going to get fired. What role is John Elway going to have in finding his replacement? It's a legitimate question to ask, okay? He has such a poor job with Vance Joseph, what's he going to do the next time around? So, with that said, there, there are plenty of strengths and weaknesses for John Elway and his front office, but obviously with the track record, you have to say on balance that John Elway has been an outstanding team president and, and general manager on balance. So um, what, what I would do um, is, is, is just understand that John Elway needs to be a key player in rebuilding the Denver Broncos. He's the face of the franchise. He's a voice of integrity. He's a good old boy, and in most regards, he really is. He really is excellent in his job. So, but but there are two things that I would propose the Broncos need to, to he needs to look at. The Broncos need to look at going forward to to see to it that they they get away from Elway's uh, weaknesses. So, number one is Elway needs to turn over the draft board to a better talent evaluator. I personally. I love Gary Kubiak. He did such a great job in 2018. I'd love to see him take over future drafts. Um, but there are rumors just hitting the wires in the last couple of days that Kubiak is ready to jump back into the NFL as an offensive coordinator. Perhaps, let's see, perhaps Elway can get creative and find a way to leverage Kubiak as both a general manager and an offensive coordinator. But, you know, honestly, that, that could be a challenge. That the, Each one is, is full-time work. And number two, as we'll discuss a little bit more next week, Elway needs to do a better job of delegating the critical decision over the Broncos' next head coach to somebody who can better match his vision, John Elway's vision for the Broncos with the new coach's talents. I, I doubt Elway is going to make this VJ mistake again. That, that's the kind of thing you typically learn from and, and, and reverse course and get somebody a little bit more veteran to bring in the next time around. But he, he needs to ensure that he surrounds himself with, with whatever insiders he needs to surround himself with to make the right decision this time. Because, you know, if, if, he, if he busts on his head coach again, then you start to have to look at, you know, is, is John Elway really the answer? Because that's the kind of thing you don't get to make that mistake more than about once or twice. So all in all, though, what I would say is that with all the issues facing the Broncos right now, the front office may very well be the least dire of them. Just a little tweak here, a little tweak there. John Elway delegating a little bit more of the responsibility where he has failed personally in the past, and I think the Broncos are going to be just fine. So with that, Kevin, back to you.
Thanks, as always, to Skipper Dude for coming on and giving his unique perspective, his his ideas of, of management, and his longer longer tenured history with the Broncos. He's been a fan since 1984. I was born in 1989, so he he knows a little bit more about John Elway and the whole the whole past of the Denver Broncos, and, and has a really good insight, I believe, into what it takes to be a a winning. Uh, organization, a winning company. I mean, he, he's been there at the top levels and he really can tell you exactly what he believes this team needs to do. And I think a really good rundown of, of John Elway and the front office staff. And and again, I want to kind of continue on on that, you know, what John Elway needs to bring and what the identity needs to be for this team. And also, at the same time, kind of look at the at the game on Monday night, the game against from against the, I'm sorry, the game between the Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs and, and exactly what went down and two of the top teams in the NFL, probably two of the top three teams. I mean, you're looking at those two and the New Orleans Saints. I think those are the three that really, really stand out above everyone else. And I wrote down that the top seven teams, I think, in, in the NFL and, and no, no particular order, but I'd say the LA Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, New Orleans, Chicago, Houston, eh, Pittsburgh, and New England. So, th- so those are the teams right now that are leading their divisions and and looking like the the teams to beat in the NFL. Now, what I wanted to look at was what are the three things for each team that we look at and that we recognize them as having, and and why they seem to be victorious, you know, or, or having success this season. The LA Rams. The three things I see, they have a young offensive coach. You know, McVay is, is a is a wunderkind. He's a seems to be an absolute genius. And and again, that's not something you find all the time. That that's once in a generation, probably. That's a Bill Walsh, Sean McVay. It's it's not often you find that. But the LA Rams did. Lucky for them. Um, so again, but the, the young offensive coach. Offensive coach is the thing really to, to key in on there. Cheap quarterback. This is another trend you're going to see in the top teams. The cheap young quarterback who helps save your team money while leading the team in the most important position in the NFL. Jared Goff has absolutely done that. He has he's been a guy who's who who really turned things around. I mean, under Jeff Fisher, he was almost a nobody. He was benched for Case Keenum, for goodness sake. And Goff has really found his place in the NFL with Sean McVay. And a lot of that's because of his offensive coach. But the cheap quarterback allows the team to go out and get other guys, you know, to try to bolster that that defense with guys like Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib. Now the defense has been really hurt and hasn't really honestly been that good, but they've been good enough to be one of the best teams in football. Now the cheap quarterback is the primary reason why that's able to work. It really kind of started in Seattle with Russell Wilson, and teams since then have tried to emulate that and try to get a guy that they can build around. And and that even means if they had to trade their entire draft or the, or, or two number ones or three number ones like LA did and like they did in Philadelphia for Carson Wentz, then you do that. And look, it worked. I mean, Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, Wentz got hurt. But still, the idea is that your young quarterback can lead you while the money is being spent on the rest of the key pieces of the team. So the LA Rams have that. And they have a great running back. Todd Gurley didn't have a great night last night. He looks like he may be banged up a little bit, but is probably the number one the number one running back in football. So, of course, that helps when you have a young quarterback, a young offensive head coach, and you have this guy who you can just hand the ball off to and who will run for 200 yards like he did against the Broncos. Now, the next team, Kansas City. 
Kansas City also has that offensive head coach. Andy Reid is known to be a quarterback whisperer. He's one of the greatest offensive minds the football has seen in the last 20 years. And so clearly a guy that you want calling offensive plays. Now, as a head coach, he's been known to make many bad decisions on the football field. He's not a great game manager. He makes you know sometimes bad mistakes actually calling the game. But as an offensive head coach, as an offensive mind, he's brilliant. Now, they also have the cheap quarterback. They have the rookie contract. They have Patrick Mahomes in his second year as a cheap guy who's obviously leading leading the team and is one of the best quarterbacks in football right now. Now, that helps to have a team that, again, has a cheap quarterback who's the best player on the team, and you can build around him and spend money on other people. So that's two times in a row now. Now, they also have a really good running back. Kareem Hunt is a very good running back. He's not maybe quite on the level of, of Todd Gurley, but he's very good. He's, he's very good out of the backfield. He's great at catching screens and, and running downfield. He can run people over, but he's also quick. Really good running back. I, I honestly, I, I hate talking up the Chiefs, but we have to admit right now, they're, they're definitely one of the top three teams in the NFL. Now, New Orleans, also an offensive head coach. Sean Payton is a, another one of those guys who's thought to be somewhat of an offensive genius, and he's been that for boy, probably about 20 years now, 15 years, and he's done it with Drew Brees. Now, again, offensive head coach, we're seeing a trend here, are we not? Now, New Orleans is obviously different. They don't have the the young, cheap quarterback, but the difference is they have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have a great quarterback. They have one of the best quarterbacks in all of the NFL. Now, clearly, that makes a difference. Drew Brees makes every single player on his team better. It doesn't matter what receivers. I think he's on his, I think they have something like six receivers on IR or at least injured. That's incredible, and Drew Brees continues to break records. The guy is absolutely unbelievable. I still think he is the most underrated quarterback in history, and I, I don't understand why. The guy, the guy is he's won Super Bowls. He's he's the it guy, and for some reason, they. I, I mean, I guess he gets hyped, but I don't think enough. He's not in the level of conversation as he should be. Anyway, Hall of Fame quarterback. They also have a great running back. Alvin Kamara has been. A revelation for them, and he's, he's absolutely unbelievable. Probably one of the top two right alongside Todd Gurley. So again, you see the offensive head coach. The only difference for this team, other than the other two, is not the cheap quarterback, just a great quarterback. So next, Chicago. Now, Chicago's a little bit different, but still very similar, because they have an offensive coach, Bill Nagy. He's a guy who came from Kansas City, a guy who has very good offensive schemes, good offensive mind, and a cheap quarterback. Again, Trubisky, Rookie quarterback, or he's on his rookie contract, they can spend money elsewhere. He's been very good, maybe the best Chicago quarterback of all time already, which is really remarkable for a team that's been around forever, and it's been a good team. Uh, they just have not had good quarterbacks, but Trubisky's been the guy. Now, the difference here is that they don't have a great running back or really a whole lot of talent on offense. They have a very, very good defense. They went out and got Khalil Mack. And you know why? How could they get Khalil Mack? Because... They had the money to give him because they weren't paying Trubisky. This is so key. This is such a, a the way that teams are built in the NFL right now. Now, next team, Houston. Now, they're a little different, but offensive head coach, Bill O'Brien, is another one who, I don't know if he's a great offensive head coach, but he's still an offensive mind. He's a guy who's been around. He was, he came from under the Bill Belichick tree. Um, and, and a guy who has, obviously, good schemes. They also have, what do they have? A cheap quarterback. Deshaun Watson, my favorite guy coming out of college the last few years. I loved him. I wanted the Broncos to trade up and get him. Unfortunately, they didn't. He's one of the best young quarterbacks in football, obviously, and also very cheap. 
So again, the team could go out and spend money on their defense. They're, they have a very good defensive line. J.J. Watt, uh, Merciless, um, Clowney. And they're, a, again, a team that's been able to round out the team because they have a cheap quarterback. Pittsburgh. Now, this is a little different. They don't have that offensive head coach. They, they are really kind of the one team that, that that's has a very different way of winning. And I think Pittsburgh's a very interesting way. They, they're the one different idea that the Broncos could try to follow or, or example the Broncos could try to follow. Now, Pittsburgh, the three things that stick out for me is consistent leadership. They have very good ownership. They have a, a group of owners and, and leaders that they stick with people. They stick with their head coach. They stick with their quarterback. They give guys long contracts. They're a team that players want to play for because they have a very good culture. And they're known for it. They're known to be a place that players want to play. And they have a coach that's a player's head coach. Now, that's not always looked upon as a good thing, but he's a guy who who treats his players like buddies. And I think at least some players like to play for that. Now, they don't like to play for that unless, unless you're winning. But why else are why else is the Pittsburgh winning? Because again, they have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger, he's got two Super Bowls. I have zero doubts that he's gonna go out and he's gonna go into the Hall of Fame someday. It may be a little bit longer than a few of the, the his contemporaries, but he'll be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Very, very good. And they're again a little different. They have a good defense. Um and they have a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I think that's what you can look at. I mean, I think a good offensive line helps the running game, even with uh, Bell out because he's a jerk and ruined my my fantasy team. Um, but they have the Hall of Fame wide receiver. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and that's what really this team is kind of built around. And they're built around that that whole system of a an organization that wins, and they win and win and win and win. And so players want to be there and even sometimes sign cheaper to play in Pittsburgh. Now, New England is the last of the seven. They haven't looked as good this year. I think that finally we're seeing Tom Brady finally aging. What is he, 45 years old? I think, what, 41? And he's finally looked to maybe be hitting a wall. Um, But with New England, again, the three things, we're looking at a great head coach. I mean, as much as we hate him, Bill Belichick is a great head coach, and he has been for 20 years he he finds ways to beat teams that no one else finds. Now, sometimes that's cheating. Now, we all know that. Belichick is a cheater, and he finds ways to win by cheating. Now, I don't like that. I don't appreciate that, but he still finds other ways, too. He has some of the most genius, some of the most uh, extraordinary play calling and, and coaches, and he brings the best out of every player, no matter who they are. Even even the crappiest players go to New England and almost always turn out to be stars in New England. Now, they also have the Hall of Fame quarterback. Of course, Tom Brady is in the top three of all-time greatest quarterbacks. There's no question. I don't like him either, but the dude is a winner. He is a great quarterback and, of course, a very big reason why New England is great. And the third reason, again, I said they're consistent. They have a team that has a culture that players want to play for because they consistently win. Now they consistently win partly because of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But the whole idea is that they they also have good management, good ownership. And from the top down, they're a team that you just know what you're getting. Now, sometimes that's getting a jerk of a head coach and a quarterback that yells at you on the sideline, but you know what you're getting and you've gotten it for 20 years and they win and win and win. And so players want to go there, want to go into a system that just works. And so that's the top seven teams in the NFL right now. And what we really see the trends. There's two different ways to win. 
from what I see, from from this, the, the trends we see right now, there's two different ways. One way, the most common way, is get an offensive head coach, get a young quarterback that you can play for cheap for several years and open that window and bring in free agents that want to play with a young quarterback that's going to help a team win right now. That That's LA Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, Chicago, Houston. All these teams win in that exact way. Now, the other way is <laughs> a little harder. It's either to have a great head coach, a Hall of Fame head coach, or a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, as we all know, neither of those two things grow on trees. So what do I think is the best way to build a team? Yes, absolutely. It's to build it around a young quarterback and then spend the rest of the money on your other key players on offense and defense. So can the Broncos do this this year? No, I don't think they can. There's not a good enough quarterback in the draft to do that. Now, next year, you have several guys, Tua and others, that you could trade up and get. And I believe in the 2020 draft, the Broncos need to sell the farm, sell everything they need to, whatever it takes to get one of these young up-and-comer quarterbacks, build everything around them, survive the cheap contract for the first three or four years, and open the window from 2020 to 2023 that the Broncos have to succeed and have to win in that contention window. Okay, for the last segment, obviously I want to talk about the Broncos and playing Pittsburgh at home. But first I want to go real quickly on the other side of the seven good teams. I wanted to talk quickly about the six worst teams in football and, and likely what's the reason that they're the six worst teams in football. Just like we did the three top reasons we see the best teams, let's do the three top reasons we see that the worst teams are the worst teams. Now, I have six worst teams, the Giants, the Raiders, the 49ers, Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, and Cleveland. So let's start with the Giants. The Giants, they have the three reasons I have for them. They have a revolving door head coach. They've had multiple head coaches year in and year out, changing since um, uh, Tom... Oh, geez, I, I got his... I, I can picture him. This, the, the old guy <laughs> who, whose face was so red during that freezing cold game. Um, oh, boy, you guys know what I'm talking about. I apologize. Um, anyway, they've had, they've had many different coaches coming in, and you can blame that on the coaches or you can blame that on the team, whatever. Now, they haven't really been a winning team for the last five or six years, obviously, since they won two Super Bowls against New England uh, in the mid-2000s. Now, they also have an old quarterback who's inconsistent, and they have they spend a lot of their money on, on Eli Manning, and Eli Manning is just not a very good quarterback anymore. Now, you can't afford to spend a chunk of change and a chunk of your salary on an older quarterback who doesn't perform. Sounds obvious, but yeah, it's the case. Now, what I also see with, with New York is that they have spent a lot of their high draft picks on skill players and not enough on their big men, not enough on their offensive and defensive lines. And I think that's really come back to hurt them. They, they, their offensive line has been bad since it seems like forever. And so even when you get guys like Saquon Barkley and, and, and um, OBJ, they don't have enough around them to be able to win. And when Eli Manning's throwing picks and getting you know sacked all the time, you're, you're two really, really talented offensive players. It doesn't really matter. The, the, the defenses can focus somewhere else and just let those guys beat you every now and then, and they still beat the New York Giants. And so 
Again, I think, you know, not a very good head coach. They haven't had one for a while. Old quarterback who takes a lot of money, and they haven't spent their high picks on um, the big men. Raiders. <laughs> well, they'll... The Raiders are a very different way of, you know, they're they're losing because they're tanking. That's number one. They're, they're tanking. They're, they're trying to lose uh, so they, they can get high draft picks. And their crazy head coach is the other one. John Gruden, he has really come in and tried to shake things up, tried to do them a different way. And we don't know if it's going to work. Right now, it's not working because he's blowing up the team. So we have to give Gruden two or three years to see if it's going to work. But right now, obviously, they suck because they're trying to. They also have an overrated quarterback, Derek Carr. He's never been that good. He had one good year. Um, he's a guy who's not going to lead your team to any real success. He, he's a guy who can, you can plug in and he'll be okay. He's not a great quarterback. Now, 49ers, they're next. Now they have a, they're, they're another interesting team. They're, they're a little bit tough because they had another revolving door at head coach, but they brought in Shanahan, who is an offensive coordinator or offensive head coach. So he, there's your number one key. Now you would also think that they had the cheap quarterback with, um, he wasn't that cheap because I guess he's not on his rookie contract anymore, but they had Garoppolo. So you had the young quarterback at least. Now when your quarterback gets injured in the first several games of the year, you're obviously not going to have a great season and, and they haven't. And so I'd say from now on the 49ers are tanking because they don't really have anything to win for. They, they've, they've really struggled with injuries. Injuries, we got to keep that in mind. They oftentimes affect a team. And so when a team was on the verge of being good or bad, and then you have injuries, it almost always leans towards bad, and it just makes sense. Okay, Tampa Bay, head coach. I mean, head coach again. Uh, Cutter, is a, he's a problem in Tampa Bay, and I think he's been for a while, and I think he's out this year. He's I don't know if he's bad, but he's not great. He's not a head coach that you you want you write home about. Um, they also have, uh, you know, their, their, their quote-unquote franchise quarterback turned out to be an idiot, um, Jameis Winston is not a smart guy off the field he's proven it over and over again he's not a, a good guy I mean he, he he's been in trouble with the law since he was in college and I think he's he doesn't seem to be really beloved by his teammates if you ever get the chance to go to YouTube and watch some of his uh, pregame pump up videos and the dude's just going crazy and all of his teammates are just sitting around like I, I think there's a video where one of them like literally is rolling his eyes one of his teammates I mean I don't think they really like him they don't really respect him I think they play better for Ryan Fitzpatrick Jameis Winston, he's, he's getting a lot of money, and he's not that good. So, again, kind of your your Eli Manning issue, that you're spending a lot of money on one position, and he's not performing like he should. Now, Tampa Bay, um, they're also another team that I think they're more like uh, the Giants, that they've spent a lot of money, a lot of draft picks on skill players, and not enough on big men on the offensive and defensive lines. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, again, I think it's a problem with their head coach, also a problem with your quarterback. It's a quarterback in Bortles who just for some reason got a new contract. I have no idea why. Uh, he's a guy who's getting paid a lot of money, a lot of your team's salary, and he's just not very good. So you see, again, these teams that make the wrong decisions, they sign the wrong guys, they stick with the wrong people and pay them a lot of money, and they, it doesn't end up working. Um, Cleveland, oh, Cleveland's Cleveland. Does Cleveland need another reason to lose besides being Cleveland. Cleveland has problems at ownership and have for years had problems at GM. Now they have John Dorsey who came in from Kansas City who I think is a very, very good GM and I think he's the one who's going to turn around Cleveland. I like Cleveland. I, I like what they've done. I think they have a really good defense. I love Baker Mayfield. I think he, he's he's a winner. He's a guy who finds ways to win. He's, he's a little small, but he's a really talented, really, I don't know, almost underhyped guy for a number one pick. And I think he's going to lead this team soon to being very good. Now, 
they're not quite there yet. They're a team that's that's really still in the second or third year of an actual rebuild, though Cleveland's been rebuilding since the 1980s. But in an actual rebuild, I think Dorsey's going to have an effect and is actually going to build this team to to be relevant again. So again, as we see the bad teams, head coach is almost always the problem and overpaying a mediocre quarterback. Unfortunately, we see both of those things with the Denver Broncos. I think they don't have a great head coach, even if Ann Joseph is okay. Even if he ends up being great, he's not right now. He's not a great head coach. He makes too many mistakes. And then you cannot say the $18 million a year to Case Keenum is worth it. It's absolutely not. They're spending too much of their salary on a quarterback who has not helped the team win. So the Broncos, unfortunately, are on the path alongside these six losing teams. And they need to find a way to become one of the other obviously top teams. Now, again, there's two ways, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame quarterback, or build around a young guy. And I think that's what they need to do coming in 2020. And until then, they might just have to lose. Um, Okay, now let's look real quickly into uh, our next game. Pittsburgh comes into Denver. Denver still, they've got a chance. They, They really have a chance to stay alive. And with that, I think they should fight, and they should fight well at home. Uh, the home crowd's going to go crazy. I think they usually show up because Pittsburgh fans also show up. So I'm hoping that the Broncos fans are there in numbers and are loud and voracious because I cannot stand Pittsburgh fans. Uh, I used to go to a, a local sports bar in Aurora, Colorado. And unfortunately, on Sundays, it usually turned into a Pittsburgh uh, fan uh, hangout. And, oh, they're obnoxious. Just not nice. I, not 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 a fun fan base. I mean, some fan bases I don't even mind. I mean, honestly, like the New York Yankees, I think they have a pretty smart fan base. I don't like them because most people are bandwagon fans. But your real New York Yankee fans, they're actually pretty classy. I, I mean, I, I hate to admit it. I don't like the Yankees, and I don't like bandwagon fans. But their real fans are, are not bad. They actually kind of usually know what they're talking about, and they're pretty classy. Anyway, back to football. Pittsburgh, they're 7-2-1. They, they tied against Cleveland, believe it or not. Um, Big Ben has been really good this year. Ben Roethlisberger, again, putting up just a crazy year. It seems like these old quarterbacks are getting better with age, uh, except for maybe Tom Brady, but Drew Brees and others are doing it. Phelps Rivers has had a great year. Uh, Big Ben, he's second in yards, um, 11th in, or I think it's fourth in touchdown. I can't read my own writings. Fourth in touchdown. Um, yeah, the offense has been really good. They've, they've got some great weapons, obviously, with Antonio Brown. Um, Connor has come in for Bell and and been really good. Um, he's not quite the same running back, but he's a he's a bell cow. He's a guy who's, who runs hard and and plays tough. A, a cool story, you know, a guy who who uh, beat cancer, um, and it just seems to be a, a good guy on and off the field. Anyway, Connor's third in touchdowns, third in yards in the NFL as a running back. So this is a very potent offense, but they they. They're not always potent. Um, they really, really struggled against Jacksonville last week. They were down, um, boy, what was it? I think 12 nothing in the fourth quarter and had something like 50 total yards of offense. I mean, it was brutal, really brutal. And somehow they came back and won because Roethlisberger and, and Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster are, are really good. They're a really good connection. Um you know, compared to to the Broncos, obviously their offense is is far and away better. They're third in overall offense, fourth in points scored. Denver's fourteenth in overall offense and eleventh in points scored. So Denver's really been middle of the pack, which honestly kind of surprises me. They don't seem like they've even been that good. But hey, you know, maybe they. I guess the the garbage time, the fourth quarters, they've they've um, been able to make up for their bad first three quarters in most games. 
Um, on defense, Pittsburgh's also a bit better. Uh, they are tenth in points against, sixth in in uh, yards against. Denver is fourteenth in points against and twenty second in yards against. The Denver defense has unfortunately struggled. They haven't been really that great. They've had a couple good games, but they're not a great defense. They have real holes. Um, obviously, still covering tight ends. Uh, Vance McDonald for Pittsburgh probably will have a heyday, and and since the Broncos defensive backs struggle so badly in tackling i can't imagine how they're going to tackle vance mcdonald this guy is an absolute train we'll look up again there's another youtube to look up look up vance mcdonald and his stiff arms this dude is an absolute monster now he's not a a great i don't know possession receiver He's, he's a really big guy he's not very fast but the dude can absolutely truck anybody on the field and i bet you that the pittsburgh's gonna look for that mismatch because denver as they have for what 15 years really struggle against opposing teams tight ends um Antonio Brown we'll see I think Bradley Roby's banged up a little bit we'll see which Bradley Roby shows up if it's good Bradley Roby the Broncos could have a chance I think defending the wide receivers Bradley Roby I thought played a really good game um against 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 the LA Chargers now he he's just he's week in and week out he's a different player I, I don't really get Bradley Roby I don't know if it's if he just shows up you know mentally to play some games and doesn't others but if he shows up and if he plays a top game, I think they'll have a chance. Chris Harris Jr., as always, he'll probably be main on against Antonio Brown. Brown's going to win some of those you know, matchups, and Harris hopefully will win a few as well. Now, if the Broncos can pressure Big Ben like they should, I mean, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are really continually coming into their own and and, and show that they're, they're one of the best teams in or one of the best tandems in football at rushing the passer. I think if they get enough pressure and a couple turnovers, the Broncos absolutely could win this. Now, again, it's a home game. The Broncos have to find a way to get Philip Lindsay more touches. 11 touches, or I think maybe it was it was 15 total touches, is just not enough. He is an absolute dynamo on offense, and they have to get him more touches. 11 carries is not enough, and that's got to change. And I think Musgrave is going to have to figure that out. We'll see what the weather's like in Denver, um, but it'll be interesting. I think it should be a good game. I think I, I think the Broncos have a chance. I think obviously they're going to be the underdogs, but it's at home. And I think if this Broncos team plays to their potential, they can beat just about anybody. The unfortunate thing is they they just usually don't. Case Keenum or the coaching staff or the defense or somebody usually makes mistakes. Now, before we go, I, I failed to mention this in the first segment. That offensive line, who has three starters missing for the rest of the year, three starters missing, they were fantastic against the Chargers. Fantastic. No sacks, no holding penalties. Bravo. That is seriously impressive for a really banged-up offensive line. You have, I think, four different players playing in positions that they are not intended to play. That's awesome. So if they keep that up, this team also has a chance to win. So no turnovers. Offensive line keeps Keenum, you know, f- you know, free to throw the ball around. It's going to be an interesting game. So I'm hopeful. I think if they beat Pittsburgh, I'm going to have, you know, this this team could could get it done. You know, at five and five with a, an actually okay schedule coming up. I think games against Cleveland, um, L.A., Cincinnati, they could do it. This team could do it. So let's see what they do against Pittsburgh. I'm not getting too hopeful until then. If they beat Pittsburgh, then I am full on Broncos 2018 bandwagon. And until then, we'll see.